A scripture like the one for this morning is so familiar that it provides an interesting challenge for us. How do we encounter it with openness to new insight and not just pull it out of our pockets, gaze at it with disinterested familiarity, or even loving nostalgia, and then put it right back in our pockets? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. We've heard those words before, and most certainly we will hear them again. But what do they mean? What do they mean for us here and now? What kind of blessedness are we talking about when each of the blessings listed looks more like a burden than a blessing, more of a trial than a triumph? How about this? How about before we dig into those questions, the what does it mean for us here and now question, and the what kind of blessedness are we talking about when each blessing looks more like a burden than a blessing question, that we have a look at what a couple of translators and paraphrasers have done with this passage, because not every version, every translation uses the exact phrase, blessed are. Take N.T. Wright's The Kingdom New Testament translation, for example. Wright translates these verses this way, Blessings on the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessings on the mourners, you're going to be comforted. Blessings on the meek, you're going to inherit the earth, and so forth. Blessings on because something good is going to come upon you in the future. Blessings on, blessings over top of you, falling down on you, all around you, like the snow that steadily accumulated on Wednesday morning. I came into church early that day, and the ground was barely covered, and just an hour later there was no bare ground to be seen. It kept falling and falling and falling until snow was the whole reality. Blessings on you. It feels a little different than blessed are, doesn't it? Another translation I like to look at from time to time is David Bentley Hart's The New Testament Translation. Hart has an interesting take on these verses as he translates them this way. How blissful the destitute, abject in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens, How blissful those who mourn, for they shall be aided. How blissful the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on. How blissful. Hart notes at the bottom of the page where the opening verses of Matthew 5 appear that, quote, the Greek word here is makarios, blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, but originally, he writes, with a connotation of divine or heavenly bliss. The word blissful offered as that divine or heavenly bliss is a particular word and language understanding that makes me think about the often ethereal interpretations that have been given to the Beatitudes over the years, and then by extension to the entire Sermon on the Mount, that somehow this text, these declarations, are not earthbound, not connected to the here and now. Maybe some of that kind of interpretation rests on whether we see the divine as solely something that is heavenly or whether whether something can be of divine presence, of divine shape, 
but nevertheless be embedded in the earthly realm, divine but just as much of the here and now as of the heavenly realm. Jesus himself, as the divine incarnation, would seem to suggest the latter, that the divine is here and now. It's also interesting to see the word blissful so close alongside the words destitute and abject. As I read Hart's translation of the Beatitudes, I realize I find it hard to hold those words together alongside each other, blissful and destitute. I find it harder than holding the word blessed alongside the less gritty word poor, which is the word pairing in the New Revised Standard Version. Okay, how about another version? How about Eugene Peterson's, the paraphrase, the message? Many of us are familiar with that version. What does he offer? Here are the same couple of verses we've already looked at, but as Peterson offers them. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. That feels significantly different from David Bentley Hart's translation, doesn't it? You're blessed when is how Peterson offers it. And then each you're blessed when is followed by an example of how having what you think is less of this life, less of you, of your power, your control, your expectation, is actually the pathway to being closer to what God provides, which is what you really need. It's the shift of perspective that is highlighted in Peterson's paraphrase, and that shift is the blessing. Okay, are we having fun yet? I'm sorry. While we're having fun comparing translations, one more I want to offer into the mix. The Common English Bible, which is another contemporary language translation, Happy are people who are hopeful because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. The word happy is obviously the word that captures our, our attention in this version. Happy are the hopeless. Happy are those who grieve. And frankly, I'm not sure what to do with that. It feels not just odd, but if you're like me, it almost feels a bit offensive Happy are the hopeless, even with a promise attached. It still feels strange. So, five different translations or paraphrases, the one that was read for us earlier in the service, and these additional four. Blessed are, blessings on, how blissful, you're blessed when, and happy are. It's not that there's a lot of space between any of those translations. The words aren't that far apart, and yet there's a whole range of feeling and interpretation in play when we move from blessed to blissful to happy. Let's circle back to the couple of questions I offered up at the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. What do those words, those declarations mean? What do they mean for us here and now? 
What kind of blessedness are we talking about when each of the blessings listed looks more like a burden than a blessing, more like a a trial than a triumph? One of the things that we have been told, one of the ways in which we have been trained to think, at least in our Anabaptist stream of theological understanding and self-understanding, is that for Christians, and more specifically for the Christian experience of discipleship, suffering is necessary and even likely. That is to say, should we follow the path of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the commands of Jesus, there will be a price to be paid. That kind of discipleship understanding may be why these verses, the Beatitudes, have been so familiar and important to us as brethren in particular. These verses bolster the idea that faithful discipleship will be costly and put us at odds with the practices and values of this world. It will lead to suffering and even persecution. Our tradition has emphasized that we must be in the world, but not of the world, and that the world won't like that. The world does not like Christian countercultural behaviors and values. And that puts us at odds with those around us, because for us, faithfulness has been emphasized over things like success and power and influence and even satisfaction. But adhering to such a belief, a belief and value system, creates an interesting dilemma for us. We can stay on the track that is expected of us in order that we will be faithful for sure. We can keep that commitment. We can do that work. But will such faithfulness feel like blessing? Or even more likely, unlikely, will it feel like happiness? That seems like a stretch. So we hear the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And in order for such a word to work for us, to make sense to us, we find that we have to strip away the feelings for the sake of the faithfulness. In order to do that, blessed becomes a word that means righteous rather than a word that means something like blissful or happy. Righteous are the poor in spirit. Righteous are those who mourn. Righteous are the meek. That's the unspoken translation that's going on in our heads. Because as we sacrifice, as we go to the back of the line, as we do things unpopular with the world, we may not be happy about it. We may not feel the blessing of it, but at least we can be assured that we are doing what is right by Jesus. We are being righteous. And that can work, but I'm not quite willing, not quite ready to give up wondering about the blessedness of faithfulness, maybe even the blissfulness of faithfulness. And certainly I'd like to know, is it possible to be faithful to countercultural values, to be faithful to the call to justice and the call to be peacemakers, to be a faithful follower of Jesus, the humble, culture-challenging, self-sacrificing Jesus, even when you know you're going to feel opposition from others, and experience it as happiness. 
Can you be a good beatitude-toting brethren, a good blessed-are Christian, and be a happy person? Here and now, not just happy to go to heaven, but happy here and now, blissful even. I heard a few, yeah, coming from the congregation. I'm going to talk to you afterwards because I need some help on this. <laughs> Not to say that it's all about happy feelings, but are we so stuck in the language of suffering and righteousness, the inevitability of suffering, the necessity that we can only righteous our way along rather than ever rejoicing our way along? the Jesus-following path. One thing to think about is whether or not we are able in our minds and hearts to move away from an if-then model of discipleship. If you are poor in spirit, then you will get something good from God. If you are meek, then you will get something full and abundant later on. If you are persecuted now, then you will get a badge of honor in the next life. I don't think the Beatitudes are really if-then statements. I think they are more likely this and that statements. So you followers of Jesus are called to humility and you're on the verge of heaven. This and that. You followers of Jesus are going to experience grief and you're going to receive comfort. You're not going to be power players in this world, and the earth is going to offer its healing and sustaining self to you. You are going to yearn for things to be made right, and that yearning will be eventually met. You are making yourselves available to be vessels of grace, and grace will be the gift that comes back around to you. Your heart will be in the right place, and you will see God at work even when others can't or won't. You will be peacemakers, and peacemakers have the character and identity of the divine. You will suffer for for doing what is right, and you will come ever closer to God. People will hate you and slander you and even try to hurt you, And you will know that you are in good company with all the faithful God followers who came before you. Okay, but even if all of the this and that of the Beatitudes is true, will that feel like the quality of blessedness? Will you be blissful? Will you be happy as well? I suspect our good brethren forebears would say at this point, let go of the happy question. Forget about the feelings. What is at issue is faithfulness. But I happen to think the happy question is worth asking. And here's why. Blessedness, blissfulness, happiness are in the mix because Jesus put them in the mix. He's the one who said, blessed are, not righteous are. Blessed are. So, what makes you happy? In terms of faith and faithfulness, 
what makes you happy? What makes following Jesus, even through the trials and tough times, even in the face of opposition, something that has the mark of blessing? Not just the blessings of a future reward or a heavenly promise, but the blessing of here and now. I think the Beatitudes have their own answer to offer, and it starts with something that is embedded in each blessing statement. Blessed are you because God is there with you. Blessed are you because in each moment, in each struggle, in each sacrifice, in each moment of faithful following, God is there with you. And then woven in and out of the beatitude words are these truths as well. Blessed are you, blissful are you, happy are you, because you're doing what matters and you're doing what you're meant to do. Blessed are you because nothing can knock you away from your sense of purposeful living. That's where the blessing is. That's where the blissfulness is. That's where the happiness is in doing something you are meant and made to do. In fulfilling your creator's purpose. In making the world better through conviction that leads to action. And in all this, in staying in close company with God. If this is your reality, then you are living at a whole different level than the ones who are just going through the motions or just trying to get through the day. When are you happy? Emotionally, yes, but spiritually as well. You know the answer. It's when you're doing what you're meant to do. And especially when you are doing what you're meant to and made to do in the company of people who are glad to do it with you. In the company of Christ who is with you always. Is that your experience of discipleship? Of God presence, of Christian community, of happily doing things for the good of your neighbor and the healing of creation? I sure hope so. Blessed are you. Amen.